I'm going to read from the scripture, Psalm 99. The Lord reigns. Let the nations tremble. He th sits enthroned between the cherubim. Let the earth shake. Great is the Lord in Zion. He's exalted over all the nations. Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. Let the king, the king is mighty. He loves justice. You have established equity. In Jacob, you have done what is just and right. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. He is holy. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel was among those who called on his name. They called on the Lord and he answered them. He spoke to them from the pillar of cloud. They kept his status and the decrees he gave them. Lord our God, you answered them. You were to Israel a forgiving Lord. Though you punished their misdeed, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. This is the word of the Lord. Well, hello again. Have you ever noticed at Christmas time you start seeing and hearing words in public that you don't see or hear for most of the rest of the year? Obviously, there are words like merry and jolly and figgy pudding. But also words that have more significance, words that are more meaningful. Words like hope, joy, peace, goodwill. We really like those words, right? We put them on Christmas cards. We try to live by them a little more in December. We give more to charity in those months. We try to be more friendly to people. But you know there's another Christmas word that's even more significant than those ones. It's even more meaningful. The word is holy. I mean, if you go to church throughout the year, you heard that word a lot all year long, but it's not a word that gets used in public life a whole lot unless it's followed by cow or something worse. But holy is a Christmas word. Just a moment ago, we sang, holy, O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. We're going to end our service by singing, Silent night, holy night. I could quote lyrics from half a dozen other Christmas carols that have the word holy in them. O morning stars together proclaim the holy birth. But in Bethlehem's home there was found no room for thy holy nativity. With the poor, the mean and lowly lived on earth our Savior, holy, and so on. I won't go any further with that. But what does the word holy mean? Why is it a Christmas word? Is it really as significant as I'm suggesting? Well, this evening we're going to look at Psalm 99, which Joanna just read for us, which is a passage from the Bible that will help us to think about some of these questions and give us answers that I hope will be helpful to us. As we said at the beginning of the service tonight, the theme of this song is rejoice in the King, for He is holy. You may have noticed if you were paying attention while Joanna was reading that the psalm breaks into three stanzas, each of which describes an aspect of who God is and then ends with the refrain, He is holy. That happens three times throughout the psalm. What this psalm is doing is calling us to praise and worship God, to submit to Him as our King because He's holy. And each of the stanzas, as I, as I said, 
describe one aspect of what it means that he is holy. So let me just briefly break down what I mean by that to you. The first stanza of the psalm describe the first aspect of God's holiness by saying he is great. He's great. Psalm 99 verse 1 says, The Lord reigns. Let the nations tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherubim. Let the earth shake. Great is the Lord over Zion. He is exalted over all the nations. Let let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. So this psalm starts off in verse 1 by saying that God reigns. And then the second half of verse 1 it says he sits enthroned. In other words, God is the king. Now, Canada has a king. I'm still getting used to saying that. We've had a queen my whole life and my parents' whole life before me. Either way, Canada has had a monarch for a long time. So what? What does it mean that we have a king and we had a queen? They were on our money. They visit from time to time. Maybe if you're a big fan, you may have a commemorative plate or you may have watched Queen Elizabeth's Platinum Jubilee or her funeral or maybe you plan to watch King Charles's uh, coronation next year. It's not really a big life-changing truth that we have a king over Canada. But God isn't like our modern monarchs who simply exists as a figurehead over a democratic society. God is a king with absolute authority, complete power. Verse two, that said, verse 2 of this psalm says that God is great. He's exalted over all the nations. Going back to verse 1, we see that the response to him is that the nations should tremble. The earth should shake. And in verse 3, we see that all the nations should praise God's great and awesome name. Here's the point. God's not like King Charles. He's not just a man. He's so different from you and me. He's eternal. He's immortal. As we read at the beginning of the service, he's the creator of all of the heavens and the earth, of everyone and everything. One of my favorite Bible passages is Isaiah 40. It tells us that God is the one who can hold the oceans in the hollow of his hand. Have you ever tried drinking out of your hand and how little water you can hold in the hollow of your hand? It tells us that He's the one who measured the universe with the breadth of his hand. Who created the stars and named them and keeps them burning in space. Without him they would disappear, fall apart. That passage tells us he he is the one who raises up human kings and brings them down when he decides. That's who God is and there is no one like him. God is great. That's what it means that he's holy. But that's not all, because that's just the first stanza. The second stanza of this psalm goes on to describe a second aspect of God's holiness, that he's good. Not only is he great, he's good. Look at verse 4 if you have your Bible. It says, the king is mighty. He loves justice. You have established equity in Jacob. You have done what is just and right. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. He is holy. So these these verses, they speak of God, the mighty king, not just as great and above us. He's not just powerful. Thankfully, 
He's also good. Verse 4 says that God loves justice. That he establishes equity. That is, he uses his greatness and his strength and his power to accomplish what is fair. He isn't arbitrary or uncaring. He doesn't do things just for his own advantage or to play favorites. The end of verse 4 says that he has done what is just and right. That's who God is. Now, now this may lead you to ask a question. Well, if God is so powerful and so just, then why do so many unjust things happen in the world? We could go into a very deep uh, conversation about this, but for sake of time, let me give you the short answer to this. Is it's our fault. You and me. It's our fault. God gave us a choice as humans if we would submit to him as our king and follow his ways, and we chose not to. And as a result, we do awful things to each other. Some people do awful things in the name of religion, the name of God. Some people do awful things in the name of being true to themselves. There are lots of excuses, and it's really easy to vilify the people who have different excuses than us and excuse the people who are like us. But the simple truth is that we all do selfish and destructive things every day. Some people get to do it in really big ways, but all of us do it in small and more subtle ways every day. And even our small, selfish acts have an effect on the world and the other people around us. And so the world's broken and can be quite ugly. Not to say that there's no goodness or beauty in the world. There is. But there's so much pain and suffering, and it's the result of our sin. But what this, this psalm is telling us is that God's way is good and just and right and equitable. Sometimes in ways that seem strange or even offensive to us, God is just. But if it does seem strange and offensive to us, we need to remember that, again, we are not good judges of this stuff. We're the ones who've messed the world up. So we can and we must worship Him and trust God that His ways are good, that His judgments are just, and that He is using His power and greatness for good. That's what it means that He's holy. But that leads us to the third stanza of the Psalms. We've seen that God's holiness means that he's great, and God's holiness means that he's good. But the third stanza of this Psalm describes the third aspect of his holiness, that he is gracious. He's gracious. Look at verse 6. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel was among those who called on his name. They called on the Lord, and he answered them. He spoke to them from the pillar of the cloud, and they kept his statutes and the decrees that he gave them. Now, these verses are full of references to God's relationship to Israel in the Old Testament. I don't have time to go into them in full detail and explain all the points of it. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you probably picked up on at least some of who those people were and what it was talking about. But the important point that we need to see out of these verses tonight is simply this. That God spoke to the people. And when they called out to him, he answered them. You see that in verse 6, it says, they called out to the Lord and he answered them. And then again in verse 8, Lord our God, you answered them. What these verses are saying is that there's a relationship between God, the king, the great and powerful creator of all things, 
There's a relationship between him and the people of Israel. Now that, that's incredible because of what we've just said about him. Now, I don't have a relationship with King Charles. I don't have a relationship with even Justin Trudeau. I've spoken with my MP on the phone once. That's about it. But God, though he is so much greater than any of us, knows and loves and communicates with his people. When we call to him, he answers. And, and even more than that, as we said, God is great. He's also morally good. He's perfect and without anything, or ugly, anything ugly or sinful or selfish in him. And yet, each of us, as we said, are sinful and selfish. And yet God still had a relationship with Israel and he wants to have a relationship with us. Look again at verse 8. Verse 8 says, Lord our God, you answered them. You were to Israel a forgiving God, though you punished their misdeeds. But that passage says, that verse says that God punishes sin, but he also forgives sin. And we just said a minute ago that God's not arbitrary, right? He doesn't play favorites, he's equitable. So how can both of those things be true? How can God forgive sin and punish sin? Earlier in the service, we read in Exodus 7 that God identified himself as the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving the wickedness, rebellion, and sin. That sounds great. And then the next sentence says, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. How, how can that be true? How can that, those things fit together? Well, if you've been wondering when all this is going to come to Christmas, it, it comes to Christmas right here. Because Christmas is the story of this holy God. The one who is greater than all, who is completely good, the one who graciously desires to have a relationship with us. The story and the climax of the story of that God accomplishing that relationship with us. You see, God didn't shrug off our sin and say, oh, it doesn't matter. He didn't just condemn us all like he could have in his justice. He didn't just ignore us and leave, it to figure, leave us to figure it out on our own. The story of Christmas is that God came into the world as one of us. Now, there's lots of stories in mythology about God's coming to humans as a human, and they usually just show up in the, in the appearance of a human like a Greek god would. But our God didn't do that. He became a human in everything that it means to be a human. He started at the beginning as a baby, conceived in a virgin by the Holy Spirit. And God the Son was sent by God the Father to be one of us. Think about all of the world-shaking greatness of God in a baby. All of the moral goodness of God in a human heart. Driven by His gracious desire to have a relationship with us, He lived the life that we're unable to live. He was never selfish. He was never ugly. He was never destructive. He only got angry when it was appropriate to do so, and he never took his anger too far. He was never intimidated by power when someone needed to speak up and say, no, that's wrong. He was never too good for the lowly. 
never treated women inappropriately. He was never lazy. He never got his priorities wrong. He was always kind, always compassionate, always zealous for what was right. He was the only human ever who didn't deserve to be punished for sin because he had none. He was and is holy. But as you know the story, he took our punishment by dying in our place. He faced the injustice of humanity as he was executed for no good reason, just because people didn't like him. And while he was facing the injustice of humanity, he also faced his own justice as he took the punishment that we should have gotten. He died for us. And then having paid the price, he rose again in victory and broke the power of sin and death. That's the grace of our God. Grace that extends to you. If you're willing to acknowledge your own sin, to turn from it, to put your trust in Him and acknowledge Him as the King of your life. You can do that even tonight if you never have before. And then, this Christmas will be a different kind of Christmas for you. You will know what Christmas actually means and what it means that it's a holy day. A day about a holy God. So I hope that you take this message of Psalm 99 with you tonight and ponder it, whether you're a Christian or whether you're not. And let's remember together the great, good, gracious God who became one of us because he loves us and wants to save us from ourselves and wants to have a relationship with us. And then together we'll be able to do what Psalm 99 verse 9 says, which is exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain for the Lord our God is holy. Would you pray with me for a moment? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Christmas. We thank you for what it means that Jesus came, your son, conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin, a true human in every sense of the word and yet still truly God live without sin, the greatness of God in a human, the goodness of God in a human, the graciousness of God in a human who never sinned, lived a life where we can't live and then died the death we should have died in our place, taking our punishment and then broke de death and sin by rising again. Father, I pray that we would really wrap our minds around this and not get distracted by anything else this Christmas and just remember your great love for us and your holiness. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.